Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. Glad to see you all here today. First Sunday of 2024. Um, my name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'd love to after our service. And uh, I'm excited to look into the Bible to get today together. Before we do, I just want to give you two updates about um, some things we've been talking about over the past few weeks. One update is we've been uh, raising money for a Christmas offering. And there's four different ministries that we've been uh, planning to give towards. And so, so far we've been able to raise over $2,800 as a, as a group that will be giving to those different ministries, which I'm really excited about. Um, all the money given towards the Christmas offering um, goes directly to those ministries. Um, so if you, if you gave to that, thank you for um, contributing to that. And um, one of the ministries that we wanted to give to is called uh, Pathfinder Church. And it's a new church in our network that's getting started, and their grand opening is today. It happens to be right now. So they, they started at 10 a.m. also. So they're, Scott, Pastor Scott may be doing what I'm doing right now, is <laughs> just giving his first message to the church, which is really exciting. I remember that moment myself at our, at our grand opening. They're in Reno, Nevada. And um, when I looked, it was going to be a high of 33 degrees in Reno. So... If you thought it was cold coming to church today, I was like, oh man, how would you like to have a grand opening on a day when it's snowing and freezing out? So, so I wanted to, before we jump into our message, I wanted to pray, um, thank God for the Christmas offering and also for that church plan. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us and gathering us on this first Sunday of 2024. We thank you so much for your faithfulness to us over the last year, just as we sang about and we thank you also for your, we, that we can count on your faithfulness this year. And we know that um, whatever comes our way, you, you will lead us to overcome. And I also just thank you for the, the money raised towards those Christmas offering and those ministries that I really believe that you have had a, um, you've brought those different ministries together, um, the pregnancy clinic and the um, human trafficking ministry um, and these churches that we're supporting. Thank you also for Pathfinder Church. I pray that you'd bless them in their, in their mission and reaching more people for Jesus and helping more people find and connect with God. And so would you bless and protect their services this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to start a new series of messages today. And what I wanted to do is look at a, a letter in the New Testament, the, in the Bible, called Jude. And I don't know if you've seen it before or even read it before it's really small it fits on one page and it's what i've been reading in my quiet time lately and so um, i wanted to look at it together this year and i was thinking about I was like oh it's a really short letter so it's uh so here like i can even show you right here it's right before revelation and it fits on one page it's just 25 verses and i thought well I, we could just talk about it in one sermon and then i realized there's there's so much powerful content in here there's no way I could do it in one Sunday. So we're going to look at a few key ideas over three Sundays. And one of the things that was coming to mind when I was reading through this letter is this idea of being a lost cause. I don't know if you've ever used the phrase, you know, like referring to someone as a lost cause, but it's, you, you say that if, you, if someone has no chance of succeeding. Um, and sometimes we can slip into a, a negative mindset and we can view other people like, oh, they're just a lost cause. Um, there's no hope for them. We can even view ourselves that way. Like, God, oh, there's, no, there's no hope for me. Like, there's nothing I can do differently. I'm stuck in the way that I am. 
And at times when we get doubtful about our faith, because many, many of us, even Christians, get doubtful about our faith, we can say, maybe, maybe this whole thing that I'm investing my life in is a lost cause. And the book, this letter of Jude, is it's really short, but it packs a punch. And I, I want to look at, I think, three powerful responses that come out of this letter when it feels like you're fighting a lost cause. So, and there's some really unusual things in here, too, as well. You'll see there's some things in this, on this page that don't show up anywhere else in Scripture, and it may, may cause you to ask a few more questions <laughs> later, and if you do. But, so what we're going to do is we're going to end up reading the whole letter eventually, but I want to start today in verse 3. And Jude writes, he says, Dear friends, he's writing to, we don't know exactly who, but it was um, people that were Christians and had a, a pretty strong um, Jewish and Hebrew background and knew a lot about um, the, old thing, the things in the Old Testament. They knew a lot about um, also what Jesus did. So he's writing to people that are pretty familiar with the gospel. He says, Although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So he had these big plans to write, I don't know, some maybe um, poetic or um, real like uplifting letter about salvation, and he, he just put the pen down, he got it out a new piece of parchment. He's like, this, there's something way more urgent here. And he says, what I think you need to do is you need to contend for the faith. The word contend, it means to using earnest, efforts to defend and preserve. It's really, he's saying, like, you're going to have to fight to keep the faith strong. And keeping your faith is going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. There's, you know, and I think part of the reason it's hard for us to keep the faith is there's a lot of pressure on us. And so it's a a short letter about how to contend for the faith. And what I think is really interesting is that this, um, with it being so short, and written so long ago, over 2,000 years ago, for some reason, God wanted this to be preserved over all those thousands of years so that we could read it today. I think the reason is because what was going on at that time is the same thing that's going on right now. So the same truth that we're going to look at applied to Jews hearers as well as to us right now. So I think keeping the faith is going to be a fight. So you might as well learn how to fight effectively. So then he says in verse 4, here's, here's what he's noticed going on around him. He says, For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. Like they snuck in. Like they snuck into the church. Interesting. People came in by stealth. He says they're ungodly, which wasn't that obvious right away. Their ungodliness wasn't that obvious because they came in by stealth. Turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. So the Christians that Jude was writing to were in a vulnerable position. So are we. We are surrounded also by people and ideas that are very ungodly. And although we may have come to know the gospel, clearly maybe you're really familiar with the gospel and you've read your Bible many times, like Jude saying, hey, even though... Um, when he opened up, he says, um, I want to remind you of some things. There's some things that maybe you already knew about and you learned at some point, but you have to be remi- we have to be reminded of some really important things because of this. Um, as we live in this world, there's a lot of pressures that can begin to warp our understanding. You go through your life and you spend time at work, 
you consume different kinds of media and entertainment, you, you just live around people, and all of a sudden our, our understanding can begin to get warped, even if you started out really strong at the beginning. I think, this is my, my idea of what I think was going on at that time, is that there was a subtle blurring of God's boundaries. I think that was happening then. I think that happens now in our lives. Sometimes it happens. There's, sometimes there's things that, oh yeah, that's out of bounds, but then, then where God actually has drawn the line sometimes gets a little fuzzy, or sometimes we, allow, we make it get fuzzy. <laughs> and this is the danger that we face. Jude specifically refers to a category of people the, the people that are coming in and, and warping and distorting things, the Bible would call those false teachers. But this would really just include anybody who promotes ideas that run against what the Bible says. Anybody that promotes an idea, especially ideas about God or how you should live your life. And they're opposite of what, of what the Bible says. And so I think Jude's context matches our context today where there was a lot of people who were pushing immoral lifestyles. There's a lot of more, and it, it kind of creates, creates confusion when people are saying like, oh, you can live this way or um, change things about your identity or your gender. Like there's like a lot of confusion that happens. And there's people that have subtle but corrupting influence. And also we'll see at the end of the letter, there's people that scoff at God's judgment and just kind of play it down like, oh yeah, God doesn't really care about that. And when it, when is God ever going to, you know, bring everything to account anyway? And there's this, like, mocking tone towards this idea of God's wrath and his final judgment. And that, that was happening. That happens now. And I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of some examples of this happening. There's, there's one, I, I, one of, like, the most clear, relevant examples that I noticed um, that matches what is said here is there's a church not far from where I grew up. And... Um, they, they call themselves a church, but on their website, they have a whole page dedicated to light, you know, popular lifestyle issues. And it says that um, this church promotes homosexual marriage, transgender sexual activity, and openness to really any other kind of sexual practice that a person could possibly desire. On the same webpage, at the bottom, it says this church affirms those lifestyles by the grace of God the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Jesus Christ. And failure to advocate those things and to like hold, hold up those lifestyles as good, and this is what God wants, is a distortion. If you don't do that, you're distorting the truth of the gospel of grace. That's a quote from the website. So these ideas about how one should live their life are so incongruent with what the Bible says, it makes you wonder, how, how could you use words like gospel and Jesus Christ and arrive at the conclusions that some people arrive at? It, to me, is, it totally matches what Jude says, and he says that some have come and turned the grace of our God into sensuality. Um, using, you know, really, grace, like what's the, the alleged grace of God as a license to just sin in whatever way we want to. Um, sensuality right there, that's sort of a big word. What it, what it means is to gratify the physical pleasures of the body. Just excessive indulgence in pleasures that we know are out of bounds. And then using the grace of God to back it up, like, oh, I'm good. I, we can do this. Actually, if you don't approve of this, you're, you're, you're messing up God's grace. 
So the general sentiment, even if you don't agree necessarily with some of those um, lifestyle or um, sexual orientation ideas, this, the general idea, even in different categories of life, is that, hey, I can do whatever I want, and God will have my back. I'll just do what I want, and God's, yeah, it's all good. I'm good. And it's, it's really not all that clear which things are out of bounds and are really how bad things are. And I think, I think what Jude was saying is that with all of the voices in the culture around us, there's this blurring of God's boundaries. What's okay? Hey, what's not okay? Where should I stand on certain issues? It's all getting a little fuzzy. And the worst part about it is that the temptation to compromise comes in by stealth. It's the word he used. And in the English Standard Version, it says, um, it creeps in unnoticed. So what's happening then is that we can get influenced toward compromising our morals without even realizing it. It's happening and we don't know it. The messages are all around us. Uh, these messages that run, run contrary to what God's word says, it's, it's all around us. It's in the podcasts that we listen to. It's in the movies that we watch. It's in the, the shows that we stream and consume. It's in the posts that we read and scroll through. It's in the people that we spend time with. All of these messages, they're all around us. And so the blurring of God's boundaries is imperceptible. It's unnoticeable. It just starts happening. It starts, we start getting dull. And then, and then the out-of-bounds stuff starts to seem pretty reasonable. The things that God had so clearly said no to actually seems pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, I might be able to cut corners and cut corners morally, and it's not that big of a deal. And then people start getting really confused about what's right and wrong. So if, if we're getting slowly corrupted but don't detect it, what do you even do? <laughs> How do you solve that problem? If you're, you, you're being corrupted, you're compromising morally, you have no idea, you're being affected by stealth, well, Jude says you need to be reminded of a few things. We all do. That's, that's why he wrote this letter. So in the next passage, he, he name drops a bunch of people in their references to six really intense, kind of strange stories from the Old Testament. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read what he wrote, and I'll make a few comments, but I'm not going to explain the whole stories. It'd actually be kind of fun to do like a whole sermon on every one of these stories, but... Here's what he says. All right, in light of all that distortion and that, that blurring that's going on here, remember, remember these things. Call to mind these stories. One is, he says, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, so this is a reference of when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Miraculously, somehow, even though God did all those miracles, there were some people that didn't believe him fully. And so they still doubted. So they are were, they were full of doubt. It's okay. It actually is okay to work through doubt. But they had doubt that led to permanent unbelief. And they got destroyed. And I think it's really fascinating that it says that Jesus brought those people out and destroyed them. Because Jesus isn't, his name's not written in that story when you go in, in the Numbers 14, um, in the Exodus. But... Um, he gets the credit for doing all that in this, in this part of the scripture. So that's, that's one story. Then he says, um, he talks about these rebellious angels. He says, And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, 
He's kept in eternal change in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. All right, so this is a reference. You can find a little bit about this in Genesis 6. Um, and you find a lot more about it in an extra-biblical book called First Enoch, which is not part of the Bible, but it was a really um, well-known, highly praised Jewish work at that time. You can find it now. But there's these details about this story where there were some angels that, they're fallen angels, and they, they came down to, um, to marry and have sex and have kids with um, women, mortal women. And it caused all kinds of problems. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the things that led up to the flood when God brought the, that judgment on the planet. But it's the story of these angels who didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They wanted to just completely ignore what God had said was very clear, and they just did their own thing. So they're angels. They blew God off, went to sleep with some women, created tons of wickedness, and then they were thrown into eternal prison. So that's a really interesting story. Um, there's another one. So he, next, the next one he refers to is these um, men from Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And this is a story. You can read about this in Genesis 19. But um, Lot was a faithful guy. Some travelers came to see him. Uh, they also happened to be angels, but not everybody knew that. Uh, these travelers came, and then the men uh, violently, by force, tried to force themselves on them sexually, in a homosexual way, in this town where Lot lived. And God later destroyed those cities. It had gotten way, it had gotten so far away um, into evil and just contrary to God's law. And so there was, again, destruction and punishment from God. So you've got these, th these are the three opening stories <laughs> that are like very intense. They would have been very familiar to Jewish readers. So whoever got this letter first from Jude, and he just references these things kind of quickly, they'll, they know about what happened historically in these things. So this would have been very familiar to them. And the thing that strings them together is mentioned in the next verse. He says, in the same way, these people relying on their dreams... Interesting. Dreams. There's a lot of people that say you should follow your dreams. You should dream up what you want and go after it. Rely on their dreams, then they defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Um, the thing that string, strings these people together is just a total disregard for God, a disregard for the Bible, people just living by impulsive desires. And there's tremendous moral compromise. Then there's this bonus reference to a story that's not found anywhere else in the Bible. And um, I'll just read it. I don't know if you've ever read this before. So it says, um, Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Okay, so that one, that actually comes from another book called The Testament of Moses. It's not part of the Bible, although, it, again, it was a popular Jewish text. You can find this one, too. And, um, but, you know, you've got, a, you've got, like, this powerful archangel arguing with Satan about Moses' dead body. <laughs> like, what, what am I supposed to take away from that? That's really interesting. The, the story, what it does is it affirms, he's building up this argument. It affirms his main point that, basically, there's people who don't care about obeying God. 
because he ties it in. He says, these people, verse 10, these people blaspheme, and contrary to what a good angel like Michael would do, these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Um, so the next verse is the name drop of three more names. Um, they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. So three more names, three more stories that would have been very, very familiar to the original readers. Maybe you know that Cain is the one who murdered his brother. Cain offered, made offerings to God. Um, they were not accepted because of his heart, and his brother was good and was righteous. He was so mad at his brother for being good that he killed him. And then Balaam was a guy that um, set a trap for Israel and had these women just walk in front of all these men, and um, they all ended up committing adultery. It was, it, was this defense, it was this plan to get Israel to fall under God's judgment, and it worked. And so Balaam tricked using sexual immorality. And then Korah is a story about a guy who um, rebelled against Moses, actually led a mutiny, or tried to let him lead a mutiny against Moses. It failed, and him and all the people that were around him fell into a pit and were covered up and died. And you can find all those stories in the Old Testament. And so I'm hoping that by just, you know, following this trail of names that Jude references, I also included references to the old, where you find them in the Old Testament. So maybe, maybe if you've got interest, you could go read those. Um, so, all right, let's, let's bring it back together. Jude says, all right, there's a blurring of God's boundaries. You need to contend for the faith. Why is it helpful to remember all these stories of God's judgment? One, one reason I think it's helpful for us to know these stories is, is first, that today's moral compromise has very old roots. In, so the things that we're dealing with is not new. People have been getting tripped up on the same things for a very long time. We, I, we all get tripped up on things that people have been getting tripped up on for a long time. Our culture is very confused, and there's also a lot of pressure put against the Bible. If you, if you stand for your faith and if you live your way according to the Bible, there's a lot of pressure on you. And there's a lot of people criticizing God and the Bible. So it's helpful for us to remember, like with these stories, first of all, that there are ungodly influences all around us. And two, the path of godless people has the same destination every time. It ends in total, eternal destruction. It's really, really helpful for us to remember this. You're, you're trying to, you know, keep your morals straight, live for God, be godly. It's helpful for us to remember all those pressures and all those people moving in the wrong direction. They're, the destination is the same every time. So the, the big warning, so this is the other reason, <laughs> this is the other reason for this letter. The warning is you might get pulled in. This letter is in some ways a warning that um, the stories that Jude summarizes Oh, yeah, I wrote this. Um, these stories are, um, it focuses on sexual sin, which any, sexual sin is any kind of sexual activity outside of a, a man married to a woman, and that's it. And there's a lot of different ways of having sexual activity outside of that, and it's really easy to fall into. Um, rebellion against God is the other thing that comes up a lot in these stories. 
basically, rebellion, maybe you've heard that term before, rebellion is basically when you say, like, I know God says this, but I'm not going to do that. I know, I know the Bible says, but, meh, I'm not going to do that. That's rebellion. And then unbelief is just straight up refusing to believe God and believe the gospel of Jesus. So that, that's what comes out of these stories. And the warning is you might get pulled into those things. It's really easy for that to happen. Some of us, in fact, some of us will doubt. Some of us will waver. You might get a little shaky on some of this stuff. You might even begin to compromise at points because the pull towards these are, is really, really strong. So you might want to give in. You might want to justify what you're doing. You might want to follow along with the world at times. Sometimes it feels like following Jesus is a bit of a lost cause. It can, those thoughts can go through our minds. And I think what's really interesting about this is that Jude, the guy who wrote this, was one of Jesus' four brothers. And when he first, you know, he grew up, he grew up with Jesus. How, what would that be like? He, didn't, he never believed that Jesus was um, the God. And... Um, I don't know how many times you'd have to be the one that got spanked and he never got spanked for you. And you were like, man, like, imagine all the resentment that would grow from that. So all the way from Jesus' life through his death, he never believed. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he and actually the other three brothers became disciples and leaders and even missionaries in the church. It's pretty amazing. So here's, here's a guy. Here's a guy that first did have quite a lot of unbelief Tons of, probably went through a season of doubt and then came out as a believer. And somebody who's contending for the faith. So that, that should give you a lot of hope right there. So in light of these warnings, if you might get pulled in, what do we do? How do we contend for the faith? There's three answers. We're going to look at just one today in the next, in the next two weeks. Um, verse 20, he says, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. The main thing he's saying right here is this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. And um, if you look at the Greek, that, that keep yourselves is, is the main verb. And those other statements around it are, they have some verbs too, but they are actually, um, they point back to this main idea. These other um, we'll, we'll see in a second. This is how, the way that we keep ourselves in God's love is through waiting, faith, and, um, and prayer. But there's this paradox that arises where what's really interesting about this statement is there's this amazing blend of God's action and man's response. So in verse 1, Jude says it's God that keeps us. God chooses to love us, and then he's the one that keeps us eternally. He keeps us guarded and secure. But yet here he says we ought to keep ourselves in God's love. And you're like, how do, so am I maybe like not going to make it if I don't do the hard work of keeping myself? A true believer is never at risk of losing his salvation. But somehow God gives us a role to play in staying on track. Or in many cases, getting back on track. How often do we need to get ourselves back on track? So instead of, basically the idea here is instead of wandering and straying away from God and then remaining distant, he says, no, no, keep yourselves 
rooted squarely in the flow of God's love and his grace. We have a choice whether to skate over to the edges of questionable behavior and lifestyle. You can skate to the edge. Man, and maybe even start jumping in to some moral compromise. But instead, he's, it's kind of like, he's like, instead of hanging around the edges, no, no, go right back to the center of God's love. So you could say it this way. God is the one who keeps you in his love. So for goodness sake, keep yourselves in his love. That main phrase, um, keep yourself in the love of God, like I said, it's, it's the imperative verb, and the other three are supporting participles. So how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? It may actually sound like a flowery idea, but practically, so how do, how do we do this? You might feel like, keep yourselves in the love of God. You're like, okay, how do I get that? Like, it's kind of hard to grab. All right, very practically, he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. The way we do this is we, I say, I trust God that you will preserve me. I believe your promise to me that you will be my refuge. It can feel very overwhelming at times. I can look around at all of the ungodliness and all the pressure and all the confusion, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build myself up by sinking my trust deeply in the work of God in my life. I trust God. You are at work in my life. Sometimes it's, it comes out by just declaring back the promise. Or actually, a lot of the songs that we sang this morning already, and one that we will sing, are ways of doing this. Actually, one of the reasons that we sing songs is to just vocalize our faith and proclaim our faith and our trust that God is going to carry us through. So as a believer, he has promised to carry us through it. And on this topic of faith, if you have not yet crossed the line of faith and you haven't decided whether or not you would make Jesus the Lord of your life, that would be the very next step to do. And if you want more info about how to do that, let us know in your, your connection card. The other thing that he says is we keep ourselves in his love by praying in the Holy Spirit. And you might just pray, preserve me, O Lord. Help me to obey. Maybe, maybe it is to pray continually by banking on the Spirit's help and by living by the Bible. Um, staying in prayer, we have to continually look away from our own resources to the infinite, merciful resources of God and Jesus. Your prayer in the Holy Spirit might include thanksgiving. It might include a plea for help, like, God, I, I, am, I am so off track. Would you please help me? It might even, your prayer in the Holy Spirit might include confession. Maybe in those topics that come out of these stories, maybe your confession needs to include confession on areas of sexual sin or times that I've rebelled against God. I just said I'm not doing it your way. Or times when you've dealt with unbelief. It's really, really hard to come and face God when the sin is still hanging out there. It's really hard. So your prayer, there's a lot of different ways that the pray, prayer might look, and it might even include getting time with other believers to pray out the things you're dealing with. And then the third, the third way we keep ourselves in God's love is by waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now this kind of waiting Sometimes when, we're, when you're waiting, like, in a drive-thru line, <laughs> you're just, like, not loving it. You're just it's taking for a long time. Or um, Phil's Coffee just opened up. And I don't know if you've been there or not, but that's a new coffee shop. It's right by my house, but I have not gone in there yet because every time I drive by, there's people, like, tumbling out of the doors 
so packed. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't got time for that. So I'm not going to wait there. So waiting for us has this idea of like, no, that is a pain. Waiting in the Bible, though, is different. So it's very, very different. This kind of waiting is actually an upbeat, hope-filled endurance. Because life is really hard. And there's a lot of things that you're going to struggle through for a long time. But we can do it like with this like buoyant, hope-filled attitude when we're waiting. Because we know he's going to bring me eternal life. And I know he's going to bring me through it. So life can be, there's this, there's this lift. I personally, th- this happens to me. When we sing songs about what's coming, there's this lift I get when I remember eternal life. It's coming. He's going to bring me there. It's so good. So we, we patiently wait for God to finish his merciful work. And by the way, while we're waiting, he's working on us. And he's going to keep working on us. And he's not going to stop. So this is, this is one way that we contend for this faith that Jude talks about. In light of all these warnings that he gives, um, next week, I'm really excited to look at the next part, you can even read ahead because it's so short, you could just read it really quickly. But the next part, he talks, so I kind of focused on like ourselves and how we're wrestling with the, with the, the pressures and the temptations. He, he lets us know how we deal with other people next, because maybe there's people that you know that are doubters, and there's people in your life that have really veered off track, or maybe there, you know people that are really compromised morally, and it breaks your heart. What do you do about people that are letting themselves get corrupted? How do you handle that? That's next week. And then my favorite part of this letter is going to be week three. So we're going to save it for that. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to gather, to look at your word. And even though there's some really interesting things written in the Bible here that take some digging and some studying to really know clearly what's being said, I thank you for the blessing that comes through the joy of studying your word and the incredible hope and heart change that you give us on the way. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that would build ourselves up and keep ourselves in your love. And I pray that um, we would not be quick to, to fall into this, this sneaky, imperceptible corrupting that's happening all around us, but we would be able to see clearly and have your word and your Holy Spirit guiding us through those moments. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.